You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. We will be reading from Romans 7, starting in verse 7. That's on page 652 in the Bibles that are in the seatbacks in front of you. This is the word of the Lord. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it, not, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh. I serve the law of sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Every word of yours is true, is profitable for us, is important to us. And even now, our hearts resonate with what the Apostle Paul wrote here. If we are honest, these words describe our hearts before you. Lord, I pray for Pastor Dave now as he brings this word to us, this text to us, helps us understand it. Lord, I pray that you'll bless the hard work he's put into the sermon. Lord, I pray that you'll give us 
the ability to truly listen to what you're doing so that your spirit will move and change us by the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as a nation, we've had an interesting week, haven't we? We saw some of the Olympic stuff kick off this last week, the Parade of Nations. We've got to see all different kinds of athletes kind of beginning their, their athletic endeavors there in Japan. Uh, but something stood out to me this last week that was really interesting. A few days ago, four people strapped themselves to a rocket and intentionally flew 62 miles into the air. Ridiculous. It was, looked wonderful for them, but just ridiculous. They flew. They, in about 10 minute span, they flew into space, floated around for a while, and then floated back down to Earth. Now, if you watched it, like my wife and I did, it was kind of a cool thing. We're wondering, is it going to happen? Are they going to make it? And they'd do these interviews with people, and they say, oh, they're going to make it because we've done all these things. I just thought, oh, this is just fascinating. And Tamara looked at me, and she goes, would, would you do this? Like, we talking back and forth. Would you ever? I'm like, no. Absolutely not. I would not strap myself to a rocket and be launched into space intentionally. No, that sounds ridiculous. Now, I've done some other silly things and some things over my life. You know, I've, I've jumped off some rocks when I was younger and repelled a little bit, but I always had ropes and I always had things that keep me really, really, really safe. Strapping yourself to a chair on top of a rocket sounds very unsafe. It's hard to avoid the extremes of those things as much as, much as possible. I'm, I like the, the safe place in the middle. Kind of where it's not one of the, the things where you're doing all these extreme sports like you may see in the Olympics or I guess that's an extreme sport now as well, launching yourself into space. I, I like to stay a little safer where the ground's a little bit maybe more mushy, but it's, oh, but it's quite gray and wonderful. I don't hold too many extreme views. Uh, I guess if you're Facebook friends with me, you disagree. In sports, on Facebook, I hold some extreme views about certain universities, and now there's a couple down south in Oklahoma and Texas I've got some extreme views about as well. But I, I try to kind of stay in the center, and some of that's because I'm a people pleaser. I like to keep people on all sides happy and, and pleased with me. But I'm not really one of those persons who pushes the envelope. I like others to do that. In the church, I I think we find ourselves in kind of a similar place of tension, a similar position, where we have these extremes in our lives, kind of in a spiritual sense, and and oftentimes we find it a lot easier to just kind of stay in the the safe middle area where you're not too extreme one way or the other. And maybe I think on one side of the spectrum, you have this legalism. You have this desire by people to follow the law and follow the rules, to do what others tell you as perfectly as you possibly can. And and we know that that kind of leads to some certain things, and that's maybe not the healthiest of things. But on the other side of the spectrum, there's this lawlessness where you feel like, I just kind of can make it up as I go and do whatever I want Kind of be the one who calls the shots and makes up the rules. And and neither of those two things are, are good beneficial and helpful in the long run. In fact, both of those two extremes can lead us to sin. And we don't want to sin, right? We want to stay kind of where it's a little safer, where we're avoiding sin as much as we can. And today we're looking at a passage in Scripture as we continue our walk through the book of Romans that's going to use two words over and over and over again. In Romans chapter 7, we find the words law and sin used 15 times in the verses that Pastor Marty just read for us a few moments ago. 15 times the word law 
is used. Fifteen times the word sin is used. And in these middle chapters of Romans, where we've been over the last couple of weeks, Paul has been arguing, the author writing the church there in Rome, he's been arguing that Christians are no longer slaves to sin because we've been made righteous through Jesus. We've been made right by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and that we have died to our sin in some sense in Christ. And Romans has been telling us that our right standing is not on where we are in the spectrum, whether we're more law-obeying or do whatever we want to, but it's because of what Christ has done through his life, death, and resurrection. It's because of Jesus that we have any sort of place to stand with God. This gift of grace has been placed into our accounts. For Christians, this has been a wonderful season where we've been walking through these passages, these chapters, and saying, yes, this is great. There's a new relationship with the law and with sin, and Jesus has done all these amazing things for me and for us. It's been a deep couple of chapters, too. It's been thick. There's been lots of stuff in there that's kind of been head-scratchers that have caused us to, to lean in and ask some further and more difficult questions. And I've really enjoyed it over the last couple of weeks here, especially in these middle chapters. But we get to a section of Scripture now in chapter 7 where I, I kind of picture Paul been writing all these deep things, these important things. He's writing some important things now, but he writes it from a little different tone, a little different tenor. And maybe he takes off his deep theological teacher hat and kind of places it over here. And he picks up this, I'm going to walk alongside you as a counselor hat. And he puts it on it because he's going to walk us through this section that's really difficult. But not difficult in the sense that there's a lot of theological hard things in there, but because it deals with something that every one of us in this room, everybody watching online, everybody alive today deals with. And it's the effects of sin in our life. And Paul is writing to a church here in Rome, and we kind of get to read over their shoulder here a little bit now that we get to read this for ourselves, and because he's answering this question for them. Why do we struggle with sin? Why are we struggling with sin? Because the last couple chapters have just told us that Jesus died for our sin and that we're no longer slaves to sin. We've been freed from sin. We're able to live under grace. Like he's been saying all these amazing things, but why? Why is it that it still feels like in my daily life that there's this sin stuff that I struggle with? Why is it that I do, like Paul says, the things that I don't want to do, and the things that I want to do, I I don't do? Well, thankfully, that's what Paul is is writing about here in this last part of chapter 7. For those who feel the, 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 the tension of life, but also feel the pressure to live this life in a way that pleases God, in a way that honors God, in a way that reflects who we are in God. So today we're going to see three different sections to our passage. If you have your, your sermon notes, I've tried to kind of give you a little bit of space to write and little, little headlines there. We're going, to, we're going to see in the first couple of verses, in verses 7 to 12, how sin uses the law to kill us. And in the middle section, verses 13 to 23, we're going to see how sin kills us, what it means for Paul and for us, kind of the effects of sin in our lives. And then we're going to see in the last couple of verses of this chapter how Jesus kills sin, kind of the the answer to the sin problem. That's where we're going to go this morning. But this morning, we're going to start here with the the first couple of verses. The first big idea is that sin uses the law 
to kill us. Again, we're talking sin and law. Those are those important words, the frequently used words here in this section. So he says in verse 7, he begins there and, and asks this question. Well, what shall we then say? That the law is sin? Well, by no means. See, Paul's continuing this thought from the first couple of verses, the first six verses of this chapter, where he told the believer that you are no longer under the law. You're no longer under the law, under the, the rules and the weight of law, but you are now under grace. You are free to follow Christ. You are free to be, a, be married to Jesus. The, the old spouse has died, but you can now follow Christ, and he, he is the perfect spouse. And by asking this question, he's kind of cutting off the, the questions that they might be asking there in the church. Well, if Jesus is good, and we're not under the law, so the law must be bad, right? Jesus good, law bad. And Paul's saying, no, no, that's not it at all. The law's not bad. It's not evil. In fact, he'll say a couple verses later down there in 12, the law is holy. It's righteous. It's good. Paul has a, a high esteem of the law. The law itself is not sinful, but it does bring us something. It brings us the knowledge of sin. Again, finish verse 7 there with me if you got your Bibles there. It says, Yet, if, I had not, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. And with this phrase, you shall not covet, Paul is reminding his readers, he's pointing his readers to the Ten Commandments. Maybe you've, you're familiar with that. There's the ten biggies that, that God gave Charlton Heston when he came down from the movie there. You've, or Moses, sorry, not, not same, same thing. Uh, he gave him the Ten Commandments, and, and we, we know these Ten Commandments are, are, are biggies back in Exodus 20. And the first nine of those ten deal with external things, people, things that people could look at your life and say, yeah, you're, you're following those commands. Good job. You're not murdering somebody. Way to go. You're observing the Sabbath. You're doing the right things on the Sabbath day, or you're not doing the wrong things on the Sabbath day. But, and you can read all the commandments like that until you get to number 10, which is this one that Paul mentions that you shall not covet, which is less of an external thing that someone can look into your life and say, yeah, it looks like you're doing okay. This is an internal heart issue. Paul knows He's been reading these commands his entire life. And he says that it was this one that grabbed his attention, that told him what sin really is. He says coveting is, is longing for more. Coveting is, is not being content with what you have, but it's desiring something that somebody else has. You want to make it your own. Paul says, nobody else around me knew. I mean, that, that wasn't an external thing. That was just me and my heart wrestling with the law, and I knew. He says, when I knew this command, when I saw this command, and it really became real to me, then I knew what sin really was. And Paul acknowledges that he has failed to live up to that commandment. And I love Paul's honesty in this section. Again, he's kind of counselor Paul, walking alongside us Paul. He's not just saying, now here's all the things you guys got to do. You're getting to avoid these things. and do it. He's saying, this is me. It's kind of laying it bare in front of you, saying, this is what got me. It was this command to not covet. Because he knew that he coveted all the time. He knew that in his heart, he was not perfectly following God's law. He knew he was not meeting God's standards. He knew that he wanted and desired and longed for other things that were not his. 
And sin, he said, used the law to kill him. And not only does the law kind of show us what sin is, we're told in verse 8 that sin is made alive or it's brought alive when it's exposed to the law. You see that in verse 8? It says, but sin seized an opportunity through the commandment or through the law, and it produced in Paul all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. And this statement indicates that that when the commandment of God comes to us, when we really understand what God is saying, the, the laws and commandments that God has given to us, When we really think about it, God's commands actually aggravate and stir up something in us that stirs up sin in our hearts. And how does sin do this? Well, the the basic answer is that there is this perversity in our hearts. It's not my word, but it's, it's a word that other smart commentators have used, and I just love it. There's this perversity in our hearts. And the, the word perversity means basically that, some, that you'd have a desire to do something for no other reason other than because it is forbidden. It's doing the thing that somebody says don't do just for the sheer joy of being able to do the thing that somebody else told you not to do. And maybe you're one of those kids that your parents said, ride your bike on the sidewalk. And you did that until you went around the corner. Then you rode your bike in the street. Just because you could, you're out of their sight. Maybe it was, it was alcohol for some of us. Like mom and dad said, hey, don't, don't, don't drink in your teenage years. But you're like, but my friends are, and they told me not to, so I'm definitely going to. Maybe it's dating the bad boy in college. I, I don't know what it was for you, but, or maybe it's the simply driving down K7 or 435 or K10 and thinking, man, I got a fast car and no one's around. I know it says 65. I know it says 70. I, I can go 80. I can do it. Watch this. See, that, that is what Paul is describing there. There's something perverse in our heart that enjoys doing the things that we know we're not supposed to do simply for the desire, for the, the good feeling you get when you're doing it, thinking, ah, I won't get caught. It won't really matter. So for Paul, he says this is what the law was doing in him. Until the law came into his life. He didn't know really what sin was, but when the law said, this is right and this is wrong, Paul said, oh, now I know what I want to do. I want to do what's wrong. I'm bent toward that. I am, I'm running toward the things that they say not to do. The law says not to do it, but now I kind of want to do it. And his native perversity is stirred up. And we've got to Friends, we've got a problem because we have a deep desire, each one of us, to be in charge of our lives, to be in charge of our little corners of the world. We, we like to be the ones who call the shots. The problem, though, is that every law that God has laid down, every command he's given to us is an infringement upon our absolute sovereignty. We can't do whatever we want. We can't make up the rules that only apply to me because God has said, well, they're rules. And they're my rules, and they apply to everyone, including you, you little lawbreakers. And this has been our issue since the beginning of humanity. Think back to Adam and Eve in the garden. They, they wanted to be like God. 
They wanted to be on equal plane with God. They wanted to be the ones who called the shots for their lives. They didn't want God telling them what to do. They wanted to do what they wanted to do. And we continue to do the exact same thing today. What I appreciate, though, is that for Paul, he doesn't try to hide this struggle from his readers. He's not saying, boy, I'm doing okay over here, but you guys in Romans, or you guys in Rome, or you guys in, in Shawnee, like, you guys are really messed up. you got to figure this stuff out. But he says, no, this is me. This is who I am. And he goes a little further in verses 9 to 11, and he, he gets a little reflective on the effect of sin in his own life. And he says this beginning in verse 9. He says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, through the law, the commandment, it killed me. See, the very commandment that promised him life, that he thought, if I can just keep all these laws, if I can keep every single law, every commandment of God, then I'll be okay. The very commandment that he leaned into for all of his life was leading him not toward freedom and life, but death. And he realized that he was dead and condemned, not because of just his actions, but because, oh, he was reading the law the wrong way. He was reading it in a way that said, what can I do? How can I do this? How can I get away with whatever I want to get away? But it wasn't until the law read him that he realized how sinful he truly was. And God's words, God's commands in him did this work that revealed to him he wasn't alive. but He was dead when compared to God's standard. See, for him even saying, yeah, I was alive before the law, that's kind of a tongue-in-cheek way of saying that ignorance was bliss. For, for Paul, he thought he was alive. I mean, he, he thought he was okay until the law of God started working in him and revealed all this sinfulness in him, in which case he said, no, I was just a dead man walking. I was truly dead when I thought I was alive. I was in great need when I thought I was okay. And that's what sin did in him. It used the law to reveal sin in him. And the flaw in this system, the flaw in Paul's thinking wasn't in the law. Remember, that's holy, righteous, good. The flaw was in Paul and his understanding of what the law really was doing. See, the law is kind of like a, a, a baseball bat. If you're playing baseball, you need a baseball bat. That's how you, you do it. Someone throws the ball and you hit it. With the, and you try to get a base hit. Baseball, that's a good thing if you're playing baseball. But Paul says, I wasn't playing baseball. The law was a bat that was just swinging freely and going after me. It was pounding me and pounding me and pounding me, trying to kill me. And it was sin who was swinging that bat, trying to destroy me. See, Paul said, I, I, I need the law to convict us of sin, to show me how great my need is. But at the same time, sin is using that law to try to kill me, to try to destroy me. So what do we do? Well, Paul, in the second section, the second big idea, he, he describes for us in some very vivid 
details, what it looks like for him to kind of be on the receiving end of these baseball bat-like attacks. And he says, this is how sin is killing me and how sin kills us. The effects of sin in the life of a believer here in verses 13 to 23. And he asks again another question. Kind of that's what Paul does. He's asking a series of, of questions. And here he says, did that which is good, again he's talking about the law, did that bring death to me? Well, no, it was sin. Producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. See, the law doesn't bring sin. His focus here is on the effects, the ongoing effects of sin in his life, in the present. So it's not the law, it's not something out there, but here's what sin is doing in me right now. And while people way smarter than me will argue about this section of Scripture, and they do, I, I think it is extremely clear here that Paul is writing as a believer to believers about what it looks like for Christians to struggle with sin. To struggle right now. To, to struggle even if you'd say, yeah, I've, I've been a Christian for decades. Paul says, here we go. This is what we're all struggling with. And here's what it looks like for sin to be at work in us. Whether we like it or not, Paul's describing him and you and me in these following verses. And he says there's nothing in the human experience that sin doesn't mar, bend, destroy, or kill. And he's going to say it a couple different ways in these verses, verses 14 to 23. Actually, what he does is he kind of goes through and he says, I'm going to say it once. And then for those who didn't hear, for those in the back, I'm going to say it exactly the same thing, the same way again. And that's kind of what he does. So there's two verses oftentimes he goes back and forth. For example, like in verses 14 and 18, it may be on the, the screen there. In verse 14, he says, for we know the law is spiritual. And he says, I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Paul says, this is, this is what the, the sin is doing. I am of the flesh. That's, that's how I, I am. He says in verse 18 again, for I know nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Got the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. I mean, Paul is saying that in the flesh, there is something about him, that, his, that who he is in the flesh, the very earth suit that he is walking around the earth in, that is drawn to personal pleasures, sinful habits, and that while Paul is living in the flesh like you and I are today, we're in the flesh, we're in these suits. Paul says sin is just destroying us. And his own body, his own mind, his own thought are addicted to sinful patterns. And he feels, I love his word, he says, I feel like a slave in my own skin. He keeps going in verses 15, 16, and 19 there. It's on the screen. He says he doesn't understand his own actions. He does the very thing that he hates and the evil that he doesn't want to do is what he keeps on doing. And I am so glad that Paul is only describing himself here and nobody else in this room. This is where, you know, I'm just kidding, absolutely kidding. Paul's describing us, all of us. Whether you want to acknowledge or not, he's, this is us. We do the things that we don't want to do. Paul says he wants to do good, but he doesn't do it. And this is sin's impact and effect on his life as a Christian. 
He doesn't stop there, though. He keeps going in verses 17 and verse 20. Or again, kind of this dual statement. He says, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. If I do what I don't want, it's no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells within me. It's not Paul, but it's sin that's doing this very thing that Paul hates. And friends, I want to be really, really clear with what Paul is, is doing here in these verses. Paul is describing sin as a separate entity than Paul. He's describing sin as having taken up residence in Paul, like this unwanted squatter in the back corner of the house. It's, it's not him, but it's sin that's there doing this thing. It's not Paul who's kind of fighting, you know, am I sinful or am I righteous? Paul has just described, I am righteous in Christ. It's not a yin-yang kind of a thing where it's like he's half good, half bad. I wonder who's going to win. Is it good Paul day or bad Paul day? No, 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 no. Scripture is very clear here. Paul is in Christ. Paul is righteous. He is made right with God. And what God calls right and righteous, sin cannot intermingle with. So Paul is not describing this conflicted person where it's like, man, am I good or am I bad? I don't know who I am. Paul is very clearly saying, Boy, in Christ I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new is here. Sin is a separate entity in Paul's verses here. It's not who Paul, the Christian, is. And friends, the same is true for you and me here today. If you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, sin is not who you are, but it is what is trying to kill you. Friends, you are not sinners saved by grace. You are a saint who sins sometimes. And Paul's already said that back in Romans chapter 1. He's writing to the saints in Rome. He's not writing to the sinners in Rome. He's writing to the saints. Friends, your identity matters. It mattered to Paul. It should matter to us. Who we are in relation to this sin problem and issue has got to be crystal clear in our minds. Sin is the enemy that wants to kill you. It's not you, partly sinful. Sin is something outside of who you are in Christ. And that's so important for Paul, for his readers to understand, for Paul to understand, and I think for us to understand as well. Because he says in verses 21 to 23 that he makes this confession that the more good that Paul wants to do, the redeemed, saved, in Christ Paul, the more good that Paul wants to do, the more that sin presses in and says, no, 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 no. I'm going I'm to do some damage on that. I'm not going to let you do that. I'm going to push in on you right there. And Paul is speaking very personally, very passionately here to us, friends. And he's saying that in himself, all by himself, he's unable to live as he wants. 
And even though there's been a transformation that's taken place, Paul is acknowledging that he is incapable of killing the sin that is pressing in on him. Paul can't do it by obeying the laws or by just living life as he wants to. He doesn't give in without a fight. It's not like Paul's like, well, I guess I'm just going to have sin press in and kill me. Fine, do your thing. He, we find some glimpses here of, of Paul's response to sin. You see in verse 18 and verse 22. In, in verse 18, Paul says that, that Paul, the redeemed, made alive Paul, wants to do what is right, but doesn't have the ability to do that. And, and even though sin is present within him, verse 22 says that he delights in the law of God, in his inner being. Like he, he knows, he wants, he desires, but on his own he can't do it. But sin is a struggle, and this is something that should greatly comfort all of us in this room today. And it's typical when we struggle with sin to think that somehow we're a terrible person or a terrible Christian or wicked or immature and we shouldn't be wrestling with sin. We should be over that. I've been a Christian for a long time. I should be over sin. But Romans 7 is telling us that the conflict with sin is to be expected and is consistent in Paul's life and in our lives as growing and maturing followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. Because we know what we should do. God's word is very clear tells us how we are to live, what pleases God, what is best for us. The problem is that we can't do what we know we want to do. And we don't need more laws or new laws or more freedom or more autonomy. What we need, what we need is someone who will kill the sin that is within us. Because we can't do it, friends. And I'm so grateful that Paul closes this section of Scripture with by pointing us to who really can kill sin, because he knows it's not him. And he says in verses 24 and 25, this is how Jesus kills sin. And again, he begins with a, a question there in verse 24. You see that? He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? In between services, I had a couple of people just grab me and say, oh, that phrase, this body of death. Oh, pastor, did you know this? And I, I got to honestly say, yeah, I, I, I'd heard it, but I wasn't going to say it. But they're like, you should say this to the 1030 people. <laughs> so here you go, 1030 for people. You get what the 830 people wish they, they would have heard. Because Paul's writing to people in Rome. And in Rome, if you were convicted of murdering someone, of killing someone, your punishment would be that you would be chained to that dead body of that person that you just killed. You'd have chains wrapped around your body, your hands, your feet, your neck, and you would be face to face, chained to that dead person with no escape, nowhere to go. And the death and the decay from that body, that life that you took would eventually creep into you and would kill you. That was a preferred method of, of taking care of crime. Very effective, I would say. 
And Paul, when he's looking at this and questioning, what do I do with this sin that seems to be attached to me? It seems to be chained to me. I can't escape this thing. It is killing me. Paul says, who? Who can free me and deliver me from this body of death? Who would be willing to save this wretched, unlovely, needy, sinful person? Who would rescue Paul? Who would rescue us? Friends, there's just one word. Jesus. It's Jesus who will rescue us from this body of death. It's Jesus who became wretched so that we could become righteous. It was Jesus who fully obeyed the law. Because we fail at it so miserably. It's Jesus alone who kills sin finally and completely. And Paul knew this. He knew this. That there is nothing good in him. There is nothing righteous in him apart from what Christ is doing. And he says, Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me from this sin. And what I appreciate about Paul here, though, is that he doesn't just say, okay, I've prayed the prayer of Jesus, now my sin's gone, it's never ever going to be dealt with anymore, because look at the very end of this section in verse 25, the very last phrase, the very last verse. He says, even though I give thanks to God through Jesus Christ, even though he is my only answer, so then, today, as I walk as a Christian, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Paul is describing that tension that all of us live in, that we all feel. That even though we may know Christ, even though we may know Jesus as the one who can kill sin and will kill sin and who died on the cross for the penalty of our sins, there's still the reality that sin, as long as we're on this earth, wants to kill you. It's doing whatever it can to destroy you. So Paul says, I will serve the law of God with my mind even if I serve the law of sin with my flesh. I choose Jesus. I choose to follow him. I choose him. I want him more than I want this stuff, this death. See, Paul knew who defeats sin. And even though he may not experience it, until he stands before, until he stood before Jesus face to face, he knew right then in that moment when he's writing to the church in Rome. Friends, this is where we go to deal with this sin problem. It's not to just doing whatever we want to. We don't get to do whatever we want to more, and that makes us free from sin. It's not following the law better. It's not doing life with more rules. It is through Jesus alone. And Paul says, thanks be to God for Jesus. And today, for us, as we think about this question of why do we struggle with sin, why is it we feel the tension of being righteous, and yet the effects of sin so rampant, I'm glad that Paul gives us a couple of things, a couple of steps that we can take even today to respond to this passage. And he does it in the last couple of verses, and I think the very first thing Paul models for us in terms of application is that when regards to sin, we need to be honest with our sin. 
See Paul's statement there. He says, what a wretched man I am. This is not Paul just saying, well, I'm the worst of the worst and blah, blah, blah. Look how bad I am. No, he knows it. He knows that apart from Christ, compared to God's perfection, he is wretched. He is honest with his sin. And whether you're just checking out this Jesus thing for the first time or you've been coming to church for a couple weeks or whether you've been Christian for decades, it doesn't matter. Battling sin begins with honesty. The more clearly we see God's high standards for his people, the quicker we look and say, I don't meet that. I don't match up. And the problem is that we're really, really, really good at deflecting and, and looking at other people and saying, well, look, they're worse than me, so I guess I'm doing okay. No, 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 friends. You are what Paul describes in here. I am what Paul describes in here. You are a wretched person apart from Christ. He would say, be ruthless in your honesty because sin is ruthless towards you. Be honest and say, God, this is the sin that I know of and help me to know the sin that I don't know. I want to give that to you too. I need you to deal with that because I can't deal with that. It's being honest with our sin. The second thing I think Paul says here is that we also need to be humble. There's a certain level of humility that takes place that we need to, to apply. It says, who will deliver me from this body of death? I, I love that question. The difference between honesty and humility is honesty says, I'm wretched. I'm a wretched person. That's honesty. Humility says, I'm wretched and I cannot save myself. I don't have within me the ability to save myself. Paul says, be honest. Approach sin with humility. But then, don't just stop there. You depend on Jesus. If we truly, honestly, and humbly confess that here's the sin in my life. Here are the sins that I know of and the sins that I don't know. Here's the sin that I have against you, God. There's got to be a turn in your life as well. We say, I don't, I don't want that. I confess that as sin. Jesus, I'm following you. I choose you. I'm dependent upon you. And we can join Paul's refrain where he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is not a formula, not more law that's got to be figured out. This is a person. Paul says, is the only person who can kill sin. The only place that you can go to is to Christ. See, friends, while sin seeks to kill us, I'm so thankful that Jesus kills sin. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.